Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. Along with the usual annual crop of books on Gettysburg, Antietam, or the Atlanta Campaign, scholars in recent years have begun to produce studies on places most of us have never heard of, like Harrison County, Kentucky, places on or near the border of North and South, where the Civil War literally pitted family members against one another. Cynthiana, Kentucky, in Harrison County, may not be as well known as Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, but the political and military actions there, during and after the war, may have something fresh to tell us about why people fought. We'll talk about this with Daryl Smith, the Cynthiana Battlefields Foundation, and William A. Penn, author of Kentucky Rebel Town, The Civil War Battles of Cynthiana and Harrison County. That's tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fullick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. 
coming to you tonight from the usual haunt on the third floor of the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina. Not, however, representing the university or its history department or any other subset, just speaking for myself and my guests will always do the same on the show. Well, here it is April of 2018. We're approaching the end of the academic year. It's unseasonably cold, as it has been around many parts of the country this year. Uh, And it's just as well because when it's really nice out in April, it just distracts from the the many tasks that pile up at the end of the academic year. Uh, Writing annual reports, for example. This year, we used a new piece of software. If you're in academia anywhere and have ever used the Sedona software system for doing your annual reports. You have my deepest uh, sympathy because it's a horrible piece of software, and we finally got rid of it, replaced it with something else, and it's like going from a Commodore 64 to whatever is on my desktop today, something 20 years later. It's way better. So that's something good happening on the campus. Another good thing is East Carolina University baseball is in the top 10 nationally, College baseball gets no respect. I paid no attention to it uh, growing up. At the University of Michigan, the three big sports, of course, were football, spring football, and basketball. And uh, uh, here at, at ECU, football, not so good, and basketball overshadowed by our, na- by our neighbors at Chapel Hill. But baseball, the, the team is, is actually good and fun to watch, and seats are cheap. It's uh, I, I, always eager to follow a winner, so I picked up that as my new local sport and uh, also fulfilled a lifelong dream this past week uh, of wanting to be pictured on a big Jumbotron scoreboard, ideally for scoring a goal or perhaps catching a pass, something dramatic. Uh, but this week they were giving out teaching awards in a, uh, in a banquet room that overlooks the stadium, and you, you can see the scoreboard. So they were using uh, everything that was on the screen within the room in the present presentation room was also being shown on the big scoreboard out over the empty football stadium. And I was uh, fortunate enough to get a Board of Governors Distinguished Professor for Teaching Award, which is really an award for nominating, uh, for going through the nomination process. It takes uh, a certain amount of effort to accept a nomination and, and do all the application for it. I think a lot of people would win if they if they would just go through the process. Well, I went ahead and did it this year, and I was pleased to get such an award. But most of all, when they called my name, my face was up on the big ECU football stadium screen for about five seconds. Uh, so one more thing off the bucket list appear on the Jumbotron. The next time I'll be in the stadium will be for graduation, but I won't be in that stadium, actually. I'll be in a different one. And here I put out a call to Civil War Talk Radio Nation world, around the world. Many of you remember the adventures of the Greenville Stars girls U-12 soccer team. Eventually they became U-14s. Both my daughters played on that team at one time or another, and for a while I coached while my daughter Maria was a player. Uh, no longer is she on the U-12s. She's graduating in two weeks from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, a uh, 
other member of the UNC system along with East Carolina. Uh, she's got a double major in journalism and history, uh, not falling too far from the tree. She is, uh, I modestly say, an excellent writer and is very f- uh, literate in social media and looking for her first job out of college in the field of communication, social media, uh, public relations, advertising, something where she can use her writing skills and uh, electronic skills. So if you're looking for someone who will really get, uh, who will bring a lot of energy and uh, delight and stories of the Greenville Stars to your workplace, uh, send me an email and I'll I'll get you uh, connected with Maria and see what happens. At the other end of one's career comes retirement. I just got into the office this evening. It's 7 o'clock here, Eastern Time, uh, in North Carolina. Uh, just came from a reception for two of my colleagues. Uh, recognize them, Ken Wilburn and Brad Rogers, both retiring from the department this year. And so we've got people fulfilling a, a career of history. We've got young people starting new careers with their history degrees, uh, the circle just keeps turning. You can keep it turning by paying attention to what's happening at www.impedimentsofwar.org, where you find out who's going to be on the show. Next week, for example, Barry Craig, author of Kentucky's Rebel Press, Pro-Confederate Media, and The Secession Crisis, will be our guest. There will be more to follow, but we're, we're taking so much of your time with my chatter, let's move on and talk about a different part of the war in Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky Rebel Town is the name of the book. The Civil War Battles of Cynthiana and Harrison County is a subtitle. And as our two guests tonight, we have the author, uh, Bill Penn, William A. Penn, and also uh, from the Cynthiana Battlefields Foundation, Daryl Smith, who will Hopefully, tell us about what there is to see and do in Cynthiana today. Uh, gentlemen, are you there? Yes, I'm Bill, and I'm here. <laughs> Welcome to and the show. Daryl, good evening. Excellent. Welcome, Daryl. Glad you could both both be here tonight to talk about uh, the Civil War in Cynthiana and Harrison County. Uh, before we start into that, let me ask uh, uh, off the top, where is Harrison County for our non-Kentucky literate listeners, maybe in other parts of the world, if they don't have their maps handy, uh, north, south, east, or west, where do we look for Harrison County? Well, it's uh, everybody knows where Cincinnati is, I think. And so we're 65 miles south of Cincinnati and about 30 or 35 miles north of Lexington, Kentucky. So if you're driving down I-75 from the north through the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Do you so so that would put Harrison to the to the uh, uh, east Harrison of County, the, about halfway between Cincinnati and uh, Lexington. Cynthiana would be east about ten okay. miles. Okay, so east that, of that the helps. interstate. If you took US twenty seven from Cincinnati to uh, Lexington, you would go right through Cynthiana. Okay. That's the uh, old main road. In my 
youth growing up in uh, well going to college in Ann Arbor friends and I used to drive down to uh, Berea College every year for the traditional music festival we drive sure. down I-75 so if we'd gotten off a little bit earlier and headed east we would have found ourselves in Cynthiana right okay um, so what why why is this the topic of your study is this uh, uh, of, of all the Many counties in in Kentucky or many states in the Union. Uh, why this one? Well, mainly because I grew up there. I grew up in Cynthiana, and uh, of course these uh, sites were all around me when I was a kid delivering newspapers. I would go by the site of where there used to be a covered bridge and. And anyway, I started reading a lot about it, and uh, I got a degree in accounting at the University of Kentucky, but I took about five or six history courses mm-hmm. and as electives, and one of them was by Dr. Thomas D. Clark, and I wrote an essay on uh, the Battles of Cynthiana, and that was the uh, beginning of what became my book. Wow, that's that's very gratifying, I know, for a professor to have a term paper, uh, you know, grow and just stay in, into book form. Daryl, what about you? Does the same apply local interest in in this area? Uh, I uh, I actually grew up just north of Cincinnati in Butler County, so just the county north <laughs> of Cincinnati, and currently reside in Cincinnati and Cynthiana. Uh, is probably the closest um, engagement. Uh, you could call it battles as well. There were two battles that were actually fought in Cynthiana. So I'm only about an hour's drive north. Um, as Bill mentioned, I just go down US 27. My interest in Civil War is much like yours, Jerry. It started as a young child and visits the battlefields and you know a father that served in the military. And so from that point, it just kind of it's just kind of grown. So so that gives both of you a. The connection both to the to the battle and to the uh, uh, and to the area. Um, so, what about uh, day jobs? I'm always curious what people do when they're not professional historians, but they have a deep interest. Uh, Daryl, so start with you. What do you do when you're not uh, preserving Cynthiana's history? I am actually a customer service manager for a large financial institution in Dayton, Ohio. And, uh, Bill, what about you? Well, I'm retired from, uh, I was for 33 years an auditor for the Rural Electrification Administration, which was part of USDA, and uh, I worked in Kentucky and Illinois. But after I retired, I have a second career, I guess you could call it. My wife and I have a gift shop and bookstore in a little town of Midway right outside of uh Lexington. So, and presumably it gives you opportunity, I noticed from the back of, of the, the book, to write articles about local history and, and pursue your interests there. Is that right? Yes. When I traveled, uh, well, I had a prior book on the same topic called Rattling Spurs and Broad Brimmed Hats, which I self published back in 1995. And, uh, since I traveled so much, I was in motels a lot, and so in the evenings, I had plenty of time to uh, write and uh, 
and do research. And uh, I think in the time I wrote, and, and then I took that original book, Rattling Spurs and Broadbrim Hats, and greatly expanded it. I doubled the size of it over another 10 years. And that's what resulted in Kentucky Rebel Town. And, and I, I, write so slow, I write so slow, I think most people could have written probably 10 books. <laughs> well, what, one good book is better than 10, 10 fast ones, I would say. I'd also note this book uh, is published by the University Press of Kentucky, and if for listeners skeptical of the self-published book this one's been through the mill we're going to take a short break and come back talk more with our guests tonight uh daryl smith and bill penn who is the author of kentucky rebel town the cynthia the civil war battles of cynthiana and harrison county i'm jerry prokopovich and this is civil war talk radio Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson, in The Sea Around Us, said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu.edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. 
talking tonight with Bill Penn, author of Kentucky Rebel Town, The Civil War Battles of Cynthiana and Harrison County, and also Daryl Smith of the Cynthiana Battlefields Foundation. Uh, Bill, the the title of the book, Kentucky Rebel Town, suggests that Cynthiana was uh, primarily loyal to the Confederacy, even though as we established, it's closer to Cincinnati, to the Ohio River than it is to the, the Deep South. Uh, why did it get this reputation as a, a rebel town? Well, it got that reputation uh, for a number of reasons. <clears throat> Some, uh, one big reason uh, was in the 1860 presidential election when uh, John Bell, the Constitutional Unionist um, candidate, one in Kentucky, and he beat John C. Breckinridge, a Southern Democrat. Well, Harrison County went for John C. Breckinridge, and uh, and then when they elected uh, the state representatives, uh, both of them, a guy named W. W. Clary, and then Lucius Deshay, they were both. Uh, pro-Southern, and they had made speeches uh, advocating uh, a convention to consider succession. The convention never happened, but because they were among those in favor of it, uh, they became known as uh, secessionists. And also, uh, one of the very first companies to leave Kentucky to join the Confederate Army was from Harrison County. And uh, you know that Kentucky was officially neutral from mid-May to mid-September 1861. And during that period, they did uh, try to ship some guns through uh, from Cincinnati to Camp Dick Robertson, and when the train got to Cynthiana, um, it was turned back by uh, a crowd. And anyway, when you put all these uh, incidents together, the Cincinnati Press had a field day calling Cynthiana a uh, den of traitors and a den of secessionists, and that's how it it got its reputation early in the war. But, in fact, you show that there's also a lot of Union sentiment in Cynthiana and throughout Harrison County. So is, is does the reputation stick, or is it a deserved reputation? How, how do you see that? It's, I, I, would, I would say it's deserved for uh, a couple of reasons. It's just it's anecdotal, a lot of it, because there's... Another thing I forgot to mention is uh, in the early volunteering from Harrison County, it was uh, something like five companies, Confederate versus, I think, maybe one that joined the Union Army, and that was during the, the period of neutrality. But, so, uh, oh, go ahead. 
one thing that sort of convinced me that it was a rebel town beyond all these little things, mm-hmm. besides just the newspapers calling them calling it a rebel town, is that the lead unionist in the county, an attorney named W.W. Uh, w. Tremble, uh, he wrote in his memoirs that Harrison County, the majority of the citizens of Harrison County were uh, Southern sympathizers. And he was a Union supporter. He was there during the whole war. He was right, he, uh, he helped volunteer with the provost marshal, so he knew the sentiment and what was going on. And I would say his opinion, uh, for me, uh, was nailed it, you know, as to being a rebel, the majority. But there was a big union, uh, it was divided quite a bit. Now, the uh, Darrell, let me ask you a question about that. Then, if uh, in terms of the, the the Cynthia Anna Battlefields Foundation, I presume the mission involves uh, preserving the the battlefields and its associated history. Can can you tell us a little bit about the organization? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's absolutely correct. Our kind of our mission statement is for interpretation, preservation. The increasing overall awareness of just there was actually you know two different battles that occurred in Cynthiana, um, both involving our rebel friend, John Morgan, 162, and then uh, part of the last raid in 64. And it was at Cynthiana in 64 where Morgan's command, of course, he had lost his trained, seasoned veteran command in, in, during the Great Raid in 63 the year before. But during the last raid, you know, that, that kind of destroyed all of his reputation. Um, so it is our goal, and there is currently really no preserved ground Um the 62 battle was almost all internal to the town itself. Um, so we have walking tours that folks can take. The, uh, the um, city of Cynthiana has a, an app on their city site that folks can come into town and take at this particular point. And our, kind of our goal and mission is to um, you know, kind of start preserving some land, whether it's just agreements and easements or those kinds of situations, and then just kind of revamp the various tours that, that good do take place. The current tour is a very well-done tour, but it includes both the 62 and 64 um, sites, and not in necessarily a sequential order in some aspects. So we want to make sure that we've got some clarity in that particular um, aspect. And we're just trying to bring some awareness into into the county, into the region. It's a you know it's a small county. It's a rural county, and um, it, by increasing you know awareness and some tourism dollars, it could also help it economically with the local um, the local folks there. Well, absolutely, that's always a critical part in public history is getting public support and making people aware that that preserving local history often has economic as well as uh, you know intellectual and, and scholarly benefits. Uh, so you both mentioned there are two battles in Cynthiana, both connected with the famous Confederate cavalry raider John Hunt Morgan. Uh, and this, I'm going to guess, is the first book that, de- that describes these battles uh, in some degree of detail. That, that I, I will confess not knowing a great deal about them before reading this, but I feel like now I now I know something. Uh, let's let's break with the the uh, 
the practice of the tours of mixing them up and take them one at a time. Uh, first battle of Cynthiana, uh, 1862. What What is Morgan doing uh, in Harrison County? What, why is he there in the first place? Well, this was... Uh, Morgan did, uh, I think, four raids during the Civil War. I believe there were four, and the first and last came through Cynthiana. And one of the others, you talked to David <clears throat> Mallory about the great raid up into Ohio. But on this first raid, mm-hmm. uh, he came into Kentucky. Uh, well, I've read different reasons, but one reason he was he wanted to uh, break up the communications and and railroad supply lines. And uh, he wanted to do some recruiting, and uh, and to disrupt the federal use of the railroad. And uh, they were small-scale targets of in- infrastructure, and so uh, that was basically his his uh, reason for the raid and to threaten Cincinnati was another uh, goal we had. Now, there's a railroad that passes through. Uh, does that tie into the strategic importance of the town? Yes. Uh, the railroad, the Kentucky Central Railroad from Covington, which is across the river from Cincinnati to uh, Lexington, was a, all during the war a supply line for uh, military supplies and to move troops. And um, it was so important to the Union cause that they uh, they set up stockades to protect the bridges. And uh, there was a regiment at Cynthiana at a camp, especially during the first couple of years of the war, that constantly guarded the railroad. So when Morgan arrives for the, his first raid, it uh, the battle is not a large one. I'm, I'm, as I'm looking here, we're talking about really fewer than a thousand soldiers on either side. Uh, but your your maps really bring out the uh, what happened in this very small scale fighting, and that, that that is one of the things I really enjoyed about this book, where the uh, the maps of the battles, which again no one has really done before uh, and certainly not in this style that that show you almost block by block where these troops are fighting I have the impression the first battle really is an urban street battle uh, the, the Union forces are holding the town and Morgan's troops cross uh, uh, the covered bridge uh, over the river move in and, and they, they fight block by block is, is that an accurate description that's right Daryl could you talk about that a little sure absolutely and, and Jerry that's that's pretty much a great summation um, Morgan comes up he's approaching town he's familiar with Cynthiana because he actually participated in a state guard camp um, in uh, I want to say late 1860 or maybe it was early 1861 and he, of course he's being you know he's raised in Lexington and, and did business in Lexington lived in Lexington so he's very familiar with the overall area 
And Cincinnati is just on that northern cusp of the bluegrass region. When you head south of Cincinnati, you actually start getting those those larger horse farms. The north part of the county is definitely, you know, um, hillier, uh, very small farms, uh, harder to raise crops and, and establish larger farms there. So he's familiar with the Cincinnati area. And as Bill mentioned about the Kentucky Central Railroad, it becomes a very important because this is part of, you know, Lincoln wants to take East Tennessee to support the pro-union efforts there. Kentucky mm-hmm. Central Railroad actually ends in Nicholasville, south of Lexington, and it would become a major supply line for any union, union force that would head um, down to Cumberland Gap and then into East Tennessee. So this first, you know, this first raid, of the, the, you know, the summer raid of, of the Morgan is doing, Again, it's to disrupt uh, supply lines, to recruit, just, you know, a little mayhem and, and ruckus just to uh, disrupt union efforts in Kentucky that, that would eventually move into Tennessee. He outnumbers the union troops at Indiana about three to one, two and a half to three to one. And when he gets south of town, he splits his forces into three. He takes the main force up the old Leesburg Pike, and that's what approaches the covered bridge area. And actually, he has a little bit of a difficult time trying to get across that area. They tried to cross the covered bridge. They tried to cross the river itself. Um, and there's mostly home guard, union home guards defending on the opposite banks. And they actually do a pretty decent little job for about an hour or two for this particular battle. But by the time all this is going on, the other two pieces of Morgan's force that he had split south of town, they start to arrive. Um, you've got Texans and Tennesseans under Richard Gonneau coming in from the southeast. You've got Georgians and another company of Kentuckians that was swimming around, and they're, they're actually coming in from the north. So he's got this uh, force of about 300 Union Home Guards surrounded by this point. And they do, there is kind of house-to-house or, or you know, landmark-to-landmark kind of fighting because there's a, a large two-story railroad depot that's in town in the, in the courthouse, which is still there today. Um, that also becomes a focus as well. So there is some house-to-house type fighting that goes on before the Union's Home Guard finally decides to surrender, you know, being surrounded and outnumbered two and a half to three to one. The uh, in the the account in the book, it points out Morgan uses artillery consisting of two six-pounder uh, howitzers or, or mountain guns, and the contrast at Gettysburg, you've got two or three hundred cannon on each side and here you've got two but the two really influence the battle when the other side doesn't have artillery uh it's just such a different scale from from the massive battles of the war uh to follow something on this really human level uh and so today if if one goes there you can you can see are, are there markings for this are there historical buildings still standing from the era? Has it all been developed over? What, what do we see today if we go there? Well, uh, the courthouse on the main square, which was the center of a lot of the fighting, it's, it's still there, and you can go through it. Uh, there's an, a building called the Rankin House that was... Uh, there during the Civil War. It's being <clears throat> restored. And uh, a lot of the downtown uh, are Civil War era buildings. And um, Darrell, would you like to add to uh, what you can see today? 
Oh, sure. Well, um, we alluded to the 14 uh, stop tour stop, um, and that actually kind of gets you all around the general town area, both inside and outside of town. Also for like the, you know, the campsite where um, some of the Union soldiers would be stationed to protect the railroad crossings. I mean, uh, there's a cemetery area there, but there's also a nice, you know, sweeping view from the north part of town. Um, the Keller's Bridge area, and, the, and this is referencing the 1864 battle, um, mm-hmm. is uh, it's just all farmland. So you can actually drive up and down this particular lane and go to the, see the railroad site. Um, also, there's Battle Grove Cemetery, which is just a beautiful cemetery. Um, which uh, focuses really, it's a focal point of the second battle in 1864. Uh, and it's a gorgeous cemetery, has one of the oldest Confederate monuments um, in the United States. I think it was 1867 or 1868, I think is when it was installed or dedicated. Um, there's also the old cemetery where there's, uh, where the, some of the Union and Confederate soldiers had originally been buried. And um, as Bill alluded to, there are some Civil War era houses in town itself. But during the 64 raid, Morgan actually winds up burning 37 buildings in downtown Cynthiana. So there are some historical historical lots that are actually no longer, of course, there. Uh, so a lot, well, of these, a lot of downtown, too, is early 1900s, late 1800s architecture. We'll stop right there for a minute. We'll come back. We'll talk about the second battle of Cynthiana with our guests, William A. Penn and Daryl Smith. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. 
If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking this evening with William A. Penn, author of Kentucky Rebel Town, The Civil War Battles of Cynthiana and Harrison County, and also Daryl Smith of the Cynthiana Battlefields Foundation. We've been talking about this county in the northern part of Kentucky, not uh, all too far from Cincinnati on the Ohio River. It is uh, the site of two battles during the Civil War, both uh, involving raids by John Hunt Morgan's Confederate cavalry. We talked a little bit about the first battle of Cynthiana in the previous segment, and we'll get in a moment to the second battle. But, uh, Bill, I wanted to ask you about the the African-American response to the war, because you talk about that quite a bit in the book. The, the obviously, Kentucky uh, allowed slavery in 1861 uh, through 65 during the war, even though uh, it remained in the Union. That also meant it was not affected by the Emancipation Proclamation. So uh, uh, how, how did both the enslaved and the slaveholders respond uh, to, to the war? Well, um, of course, Lincoln held off uh, allowing the recruitment of black soldiers in Kentucky to 1864, Mm -hmm. whereas I think they were recruiting U.S. colored troops as early as 1862 in other states, in northern states. But he held off Mm -hmm. because of the great opposition to uh, emancipation and of arming the former slaves by the masters. And uh, and so he waited to 1864 before it was allowed in Kentucky. And um, insofar as Harrison County, it was very successful. Uh, I think there were oh, about almost 400 volunteered, and the Provost Marshal reports uh, that they had really no problem recruiting, but it was very unpopular. Uh, And I read several letters of citizens who were for staying in the Union, but said if they thought the war was to... uh, was for emancipation of slavery that they would favor the South. And uh, that's one, that's a big reason Lincoln uh, read the situation right and uh, held off allowing the the blacks in the army in Kentucky. There's that recent book by Patrick Lewis called For Slavery and Union, uh, a memoir of a Kentucky slaveholder who volunteers to fight for the Union because he thought that's where slavery would be best protected. Right. And and we see that sentiment uh, described in your book here as well. It, it's one of those things that, that uh, you know, complicates and the, the, the story that, that people learn so, so 
easily and facilely in, in elementary school or even high school that the Civil War is all slavery on one side, freedom on the other, north against south. And there are so many complications, and especially in a border state like Kentucky, it's very complex. Um, I, I was interested to read that when enslaved people were uh, – when they joined the army, their masters received a $300 bounty. Did I read that correctly? Yeah, if uh, I think uh, I've forgotten exactly. There's if they were drafted, they got a hundred dollars. If they volunteered, it was three hundred or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, I found out that they didn't really fund that. Uh, they gave them vouchers, and some people got paid, but. Uh, I think uh, a lot of them didn't. One reason they didn't get paid is they couldn't uh, pass a loyalty test. That was one of the requirements to uh, collect the fee. And I found where up to 80% of the masters of those who uh, that their slaves joined in Harrison County uh, apparently weren't paid. And I think it was because they couldn't meet the loyalty. Very yeah. interesting. Now, the I do want to say a little bit, uh, hear from you a bit about the second battle. Uh, as Daryl mentioned, in the fighting in downtown Cynthiana, Morgan's troops end up starting fires and burning down a good portion of downtown. Uh, was there... How, how did this play with the, the rebel sympathizers in Cynthiana that their own town was being burned? Well, surprisingly, uh, I didn't read any. Well, there wasn't a newspaper at the time, but after the war, uh, the newspaper editor who was a Southern sympathizer, A.J. Morey, mm-hmm. and uh, your next guest uh, writes about him in his book, and uh, he quotes he quotes what I wrote about uh, this newspaper editor, <clears throat> but he didn't say anything at all about it. But what happened was that uh, in the fighting downtown, Union troops uh, got in some buildings and were sh- shooting out the windows. So he set fire to one or two buildings, and uh, apparently the, the fire spread accidentally from winds and all. Although I know he did set fire to a couple of other buildings on purpose, but I think a lot of that downtown, it, the, the fire just got out of hand. And uh, I remember reading a letter that a citizen went into town after the battle a couple of days later and said it was a sad, desolate-looking place. With mm. You can imagine... Of course. Then you have a wonderful note about uh, uh, one of the Confederate soldiers years later is elected a member of Congress, and he's on a committee uh, that is looking at a bill to compensate people in Cynthiana for damage caused by these fires, including fires that he personally started. Yeah, that was... That's irony right there. <laughs> the, the guy that uh, was ordered to set fire ended up being uh, on the committee to uh, consider whether or not war claims should be paid. And 
and none were paid. And uh, among the arguments, when they were arguing over trying uh, about, they were debating it in Congress, somebody said, well, we didn't even pay the citizens of Gettysburg for their damage. Why would we pay Cynthiana? That's the only connection to Gettysburg in my book. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this battle, um, just a few minutes uh, of our time remaining, uh, ends with uh, Morgan's forces retreating. This is one of the few times where Morgan's uh, brigade-sized force is really thoroughly defeated. Uh, How did that come about? Darrell, would you like to talk about that? Sure. Um, well, the second Battle of Cynthiana actually takes place. As, there's three separate engagements. There's two engagements on June 11th of 1864, and then one the super, uh, very early in the morning of June 12th, 1864. The first two engagements are Morgan going up mostly against um, against some Home Guard and um, some um, Ohio 100 Days regiments. And it's in the second engagement of this uh, against Ohio um, National Guard, Ohio 100 Days Regiment, that he winds up capturing Edward Hobson, who was part of the the Union force that chased him and captured him in in Ohio the previous year. And Hmm. and, uh, Hobson's troops, they fight north of town, about a mile north of town, what they call the Keller's Bridge area. And they fight pretty well. I mean, you're talking about 600 fairly green soldiers. Um, most of which have not had fired their rifled muskets before. And Hobson, they, they fight for a few hours out there at Keller's Bridge, and Hobson negotiates a surrender that takes about four hours of negotiation. I can't imagine what they were negotiating back and forth <laughs> for four hours uh, regarding a surrender. But that negotiation process keeps Morgan in town in the evening of June 11th, which realistically he probably should have continued to move on. Stephen Burbridge, who's a you know, kind of an infamous name within the state, the Commonwealth of Kentucky, is is coming up um, from the town of Paris, Kentucky, which is just it's the next county south. It's Bourbon County, and he catches up with Morgan uh, early morning of June twelfth, and they have another engagement. It's on the east side of town, and that fighting only takes about an hour. Um, Burbridge dismounts most of his troops. He has mostly mounted infantry and cavalry regiments and a section of guns. And uh, launches one dismounted kind of assault. Um, it doesn't really get far, so he swings mounted troops around both flanks. And those movements of mounted troops around both flanks um, winds up actually just routing Morgan's force. Now, Morgan probably only has 900 or 1,000 men at this point on the morning of June 12th. And um, Burbage probably has 2,000 to 2,500. Now, not all of them get involved, but he has an overwhelming force. And this scatters Morgan's troops, I mean, to, the, to the, all four points of the compass. And this is really kind of the, you know, the end of it. Um, you know, Morgan's just outnumbered and um, winds up, you know, decides to fight in town, which Morgan's not necessarily the best battlefield commander of the war. Maybe an excellent raider, but not the best battlefield commander. And, you know, decides to fight and is overwhelmed by just at least two to one odds, at least two to one odds. And I just say that scatters them across uh, all parts of northern Kentucky. There's, uh, you know, a group of 200 that move, you know, south down towards Lexington, Richmond, et cetera. They just, uh, you read the various accounts of just how the various soldiers wound up getting back. Um, but Morgan, after that, he really doesn't have much of, uh, of a command uh, after this point of the war. 
Let me ask this question, but it's sort of unfair because there's just a minute left for you to answer it, Daryl. Uh, in terms of preservation of Civil War history and, and remembrance, uh, is the foundation getting any pushback in connection with the uh, the contemporary rethinking of how we should remember the Civil War era? Uh, um, is that a factor? Locally, yeah. Locally, it's actually uh, contrary. It's, it's it's the opposite. There's a lot of kind of groundswell local support. You know, the, the bridge that's in town, which is close to where the covered bridge site was, is actually called the John H. Morgan Bridge. And you know, I find it being a carpet-bagging Yankee. I find it ironic that they you know, name a bridge after a guy that burns down you know, a big chunk of their downtown. But mm-hmm. it's kind of contrary. I, you know, there was, you know, when they were talking about moving monuments in Lexington, some folks were saying, let's just move it to Cynthiana. So there's um, kind of a, a re-education and an embracing of the story because a lot of folks just don't know the story. I, I did a tour last year, a walking tour of the of the '62 battle, mm-hmm. and I had one of the city commissioners. It, she was on uh, on the tour, and she had no idea of the history of her own town, even though there are several folks like Bill um, who do an excellent job of just getting that story out. But a lot of folks just don't understand that. So. You, we're getting this kind of this groundswell. We've been in existence since mid 2016. We just got our nonprofit status taken care of at the end of last year, and we're doing talks and tours and just a very variety of things just to get more interest out there. Well, if you're interested, listeners, in learning more about Cynthiana and Harrison County, number one, go visit the place, take the tour, walk around, see it. Uh, number two, read Kentucky Rebel Town: The Civil War Battles of Cynthiana and Harrison County. Uh, it has a concluding chapter on the post-war era that ties in things we often forget about. We treat the war as if it happened in a vacuum. We find out how some of the passions continued to burn, what happened to the former slaves, uh, a lot of interesting questions that, that too often get ignored. Uh, so it's a very interesting book that looks at this microcosmic small section of the war uh, from a number of angles and is definitely worth your time. Uh, gentlemen, William A. Penn, author of the book, Daryl Smith, Cynthia Battlefield Foundation. Thank you both for being here tonight. Well, thanks for for inviting us, Jerry. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.